I was a freshman in college, and it's probably the first semester, still in the fall, and uh, I received a phone call that kind of threw me for uh, threw me for a while. And a good friend of mine was killed in a car accident. He was also in his freshman year of college, and I just remember getting that phone call and sitting in my my dorm room, and. I, I, up to that point, I really hadn't lost anybody that I would consider close. And this is a you know, classmate of mine, but still a, a guy that we hung out with quite a bit. And uh, I, I just, for the first time, experienced uh, grief in a way that I wasn't prepared for. Uh, crying and shouting at God. I mean, I, I'd never really processed anything that, that close. And I, I remember being conflicted. I wanted to be alone, but then I wanted to be with people. And then other times I wanted to yell at God, but other times I wanted God just to give me a big hug. And uh, all these emotions, crying out of my nose. I never did any of that before, just in grief and just the thought, the thought of an 18-year-old kid it's just starting out and, and gone. And uh, maybe some of you have had some of that in your life. Maybe you've had some moments like that where you're kind of confronted with a loss, grief. And uh, I just want to lean into that for a second. That's hard. And uh, there's no roadmap for working through grief. There's no right way to do it, wrong way to do it. And it's a lot to process. The loss of someone who, who you won't see again. And, and that's uh, difficult. Today, we're going to lean into... Matthew 14, and amidst all the really big stories that we find in Matthew 14, there's a, a story that I, I think sometimes we miss about someone grieving the loss of someone close. And so we're going to lean into that a little bit today. I mean, Matthew 14, there's so many places we could go. There's big things that happen, big moments that you're probably very familiar with, even if you're not that familiar with the Bible. There's the walking on water. Everybody loves that story. Uh, cool, cool story. Then there's a feeding of like thousands of people with, thank you Joe Bullock for giving me this language back on Mother's Day when she preached, uh, a Lunchable. They, they, Jesus feeds thousands with a Lunchable. And there's other stories in Matthew 14 of people just being healed simply by touching Jesus' clothes. Amazing things, but in the midst of all of that, all these big moments, we see a Savior who's grieving. The loss of someone close to Him. So we're going to lean into that a little bit today. I'm, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here today. I really want God to speak to each of our hearts. The Holy Spirit is here moving. And um, today, I'm, my, my, the title of the message is just Losing John. And we're going to lean in a little bit to that. And uh, I think God has some comfort for each of us as we gather. Uh, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here. Online we see you as well. We gather like this on a Sunday, first day of the week. Why do we do that like Christ followers all over the globe? Because it was on a Sunday that Jesus' tomb was empty and he rose from the dead. And that changed human history forever. And that's why, once again, we gather. Hit the reset button today, first day of the week, on Memorial Day weekend. Some of us don't have to report him to work tomorrow. And so it's a, it's a moment where we can really lean into the Lord. So let's 
Let's pause, take a deep breath. Count of three, one, two, three, deep breath. Let it out. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. You're the king. You're the God of the universe, creator, sustainer of life. And Father, we lean into you and to your word that you'd speak to each of our hearts. Father, I pray that each of us right here gathered would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that's ready and moldable to listen. So Father, we lean into your word. Speak by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be. We're first first out of, the, out of the shoe, we have John and the backstory of him and his tragic death. And we see Jesus, a Savior, who's trying to grieve in the midst of so much human need. Matthew chapter 14. Let's just start reading it down right here at verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For, and here's the backstory, the tragic backstory. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him, that is John, to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. So we have this tragic backstory, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this icky, gross story. But just picture a 12-year-old girl doing an erotic dance in front of a lot of drunk men. It's icky. It's horrible. You have this wannabe king who wasn't even actually a king. It's Herod the Tetrarch. Think Pilate governor. He's this puppet leader put up by Rome who should have known better because he had some Jewish roots. He knew the law. And yet he's diving into adultery, incest, and a bunch of drunken lust. And in that moment, this wannabe, horrible leader makes this flippant oath. And we see the result is John loses his head. It's a horrible, tragic story. And look, John was doing what prophets do. John the Immerser was speaking truth to power. And he was telling that wannabe, horrible leader Herod, you're doing wrong. You know better than this. Marrying somebody else's wife, you've got adultery, you've got all kinds of things going on with this horrible, icky story. John was speaking truth to power, just like, way back in the day, Elijah speaking truth to power to Ahab and his weirdo wife Jezebel. That's what prophets do. They speak 
truth to power. So in the spirit of Elijah, John does this. Speaking truth to power. And the disciples bury John and they go tell Jesus. You know, the last time the disciples of John came to visit Jesus, do you remember this a few chapters before this? Remember, John was at that point still in prison, still alive, and he sent some disciples to Jesus to, to say, hey, are you the one we should expect because you're not operating like we were hoping? Are you the one or should we expect someone else to be the Messiah? Remember, that was the last time those disciples of John had spent some time with Jesus. This time, it's to tell Jesus what? John's dead. And uh, when Jesus heard this, this is verse 13, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This is so human and yet so powerful. He gets in a boat so he can like oar to the middle of this lake so that he can be alone. He needs some alone time. He just lost John. Now some scholars think that John, we called him John the Immerser when we were talking about that, right? John the Baptist. He was, he was definitely a relative. We don't know if he was a cousin. Might have been a distant relative of John. He was close in age. But some scholars think likely John might have been his rabbi for a season. That John the Immerser may have served in a spiritual leadership role for Jesus at, at some points. So here he is grieving over the loss of this mentor, likely a friend, maybe a cousin, grieving over that. And he wanted to get some alone time. He got in a boat. You know, I just picture Jesus just out there. And, and his disciples are probably like, what, what, is he, what is he doing out there? Grieving. He gets alone and he grieves. But then what happens next? When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Here he is in the midst of grieving. He sees this crowd, and what does he do? He has compassion on them. In a state of grief, he still has compassion. Gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the heart of God. He has compassion on them. He healed their sick. Now, this is going to set up the next big moment. So he's healing their sick, he has compassion on them, and when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, you know, this is a, this is a desolate place. Think wilderness. This is a desolate place. Uh, send the crowds away and, and get them, go to, tell them to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, well, we have only five, five loaves and here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the green grass. Interesting phrasing there. We kind of miss it in English. But he tells them to recline on the grass, which is what you would do at a more formal banquet. Interesting, right? Maybe hinting at one day the messianic banquet will all be together around a table a little hint of that, but tells him to recline on the grass, interesting phrasing, and then taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing, 
And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Who gave them to the crowds? Was it Jesus or disciples? See the handoff? And they all ate and were barely enough to eat, or what, what were they? What's the word? Satisfied. Don't you love the fact that we serve a God who's not a God of scarcity? He's a God of abundance. You ain't just getting a little taste. You were satisfied. All right, so that happens. People have eaten, and they are satisfied, and they had to pick up the leftovers. Tell me how many baskets? Twelve. Is that a special number? See, Matthew is very intentional of what he's doing here. Can you think of another leader in the Bible that was with a bunch of people in the desert wilderness and they needed food. Is that ringing a bell at all with anybody? Hint, his name was Moses. God feeds them miraculously in the desert. Twelve baskets. How many tribes of Israel were they? Twelve. Matthew's being very intentional here. This is, once again, the new and greater Moses. Feeding them, they're satisfied, 12 baskets. Every disciple got to have a take-home doggy bag of fish and bread. They think the bread might have been barley, from what I can, what I can read from the commentators, and maybe a couple of tilapia. I'm trying to think, that's, they call it Peter's fish from the Sea of Galilee. So just, they all got a doggy bag with some fish and some bread in it. A good reminder. So... Now, now we get the count. Verse twenty or thirty, or yeah, twenty-one. And those who were those who ate were about five thousand men, beside women and children. So a lot of scholars think we're talking anywhere between eight thousand and ten thousand people, fed from what? A lunchable, five loaves and two fish. Once again, thank you, Joe Bullock, for that language. A lunchable. I had to look up a lunchable because I couldn't remember what. So now we have this happen. So, so big things are happening. But don't, don't lose the fact that we started with some grief. Jesus is grieving the loss of someone really close to him. And so what do we get next? Immediately. Notice the language. Immediately. People are fed. Everybody's got their doggy bag. Immediately he made the disciples, made them. Get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So he's like, disciples, go. I, I need some grief time. You all take off. And then what does he do with the crowds? Did you see that? While well, he dismissed the crowds. Show's over. Party's over. Go home. He needs some time. He needs some time to grieve. Do you see the, the beautiful humanity here? He needs some alone time. So he dismisses everybody, and he, what does he do? He, he went up on, on the mountain by himself to pray. And this sets up the next big moment. But I don't want to lose the fact that he's grieving. You know, grief, grief can take all kinds of pathways. You need to be okay with grief doing that. He's grieving. It, it shows us the great humanity and compassion of God, right here in this chapter. So don't, don't miss that he's grieving. So he goes up to the mountain to pray, and 
Uh, when, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, so probably a couple of miles now, and then it wasn't good conditions. The water was, was bad, as it often happens at the Sea of Galilee. It can happen like in a heartbeat. They're fighting the waves. They've probably been fighting the waves for hours now, and, um, and so Jesus sees them, and uh, what does he do? And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night, that's sort of a Jewish or a, a Roman way to look at the, 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 the break up the evening. So probably 3 to 6 a.m., somewhere in there. They've been fighting hard. They've been fighting for hours now. And, uh, and Jesus, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And, and, uh, and then they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Some of these guys were fishermen. They know this lake. You don't often see people coming out to visit, walking on water. Like, how did that work with the waves? Have you ever thought about that? Like, you're jumping over the waves? I don't know. I'm just, that's, that's where my mind goes in the middle of the night. So he comes out, and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost, something not right here. This is out of the ordinary. And, uh, and immediately, there's that word again. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. We miss this phrase in English. But what he's telling them is, don't worry, I am. That might ring a bell with some of you that know some of the old Hebrew scriptures. That's not a phrase reserved for everybody. That's only a phrase reserved for God. You think back even to the days of Moses when he was out in the wilderness and this burning bush was in front of him and it wasn't burning up, but it was on fire. And uh, there Moses meets and God will say of himself, you tell them I am sent you when you go confront Egypt. So he's telling them, you got this. The I am is here with you. You have nothing to fear. Isn't that awesome? They would use that phrase, I am, to comfort, to comfort them. Now, I think that's why Peter was bold enough to say, well, I'd like to walk on water too. Because I am, right? If it's Yahweh God right here, I can, do, I can do the impossible. So, so we know this story, right? And sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. I don't think that's always fair because he was the only one, right, that got out of the boat. The other 11 dudes are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not. go ahead, Peter, you try it first. Peter asked him, okay, Lord, it's you. Command, c- command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Amazing. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and, he, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gotten to the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat, for the first time in, gospel, in Matthew's gospel, those in the boat worshipped they knew at that point, this is God. And they worshipped him. First time in Matthew's gospel, 
that this happens. And this is also a first. Truly, you are the Son of God. This, is, this did it for him. Truly, you are the Son of God. The I Am is here with us. We have no reason to be afraid. And immediately, they get to the shore. But boy, they recognized Jesus. Once you, once you really are confronted with who Jesus is, it's a natural response for us to, to bow down and worship God Almighty. And they did. And they said, truly, are, you are the Son of God. Now, we know the wind must have blown them off course, as that often happens. And, and so they wind up in Gennesaret instead of Bethsaida, where they think they were headed. And so they get to shore. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Jesus, even in his grieving, even after a night like that, his disciples, how are they feeling? They are worn out. And they have witnessed amazing things. And Jesus has been grieving and praying all night. He is worn out a close friend and rabbi and maybe even a cousin has died at the hands of a reckless ruler. And he's grieving. And even then, it's morning now. They're tired. He gets to shore. And what does he do? He has more compassion. His compassion never fails. Now we would be too tired to do anything. But here is this moment where we see humanity and divinity beautifully matched. Where he's grieving and he's tired, but he's got time for you and me. Mind blown. Amazing. I don't think we can ever exhaust God. And I, I love the fact that we have this, this picture of, of a God who grieves. And a God who has so much compassion and love for us. And it is a beautiful thing when you see it. Remember, Jesus did talk about, hey, bring your burdens. Bring everything to me. My yoke is easy. My burdens light. You come to me all who, who are weary and need some rest, and I will give you some rest. We've already seen that in Matthew's Gospel. It's echoing of Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. We choose to walk in it. We choose that rest. He offers that with compassion. Jesus is the pathway to that kind of rest. See the beauty of his humanity and his divinity all in one. This is such a powerful, powerful chapter. But in all the big stories, right, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus was grieving the loss of someone important to him. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to want to get alone, away from people. Even you extroverts need that sometimes. Get alone. Process this. 
I mean, he, he lost a mentor and a friend. And when you lose someone important to you, don't just brush past that. Now, there's, there's a pathway to kind of work through grief, and I want to share that with you because I think you see that in chapter 14. You may not have caught it, but Jesus kind of gives us a little bit of a pathway to work through grief. And the time frame is different for everybody. You may need to spend weeks on top of that mountain alone or in the middle of a lake all by yourself. I don't know what it's going to take, but you do need to process that. It's, it's important enough when you lose someone important to you to give it the time it respects. So we see a pathway. And if I would just point out maybe some of the ways he did this, and you see it in the text, first of all, what happened, what's the first thing he wanted to do? As soon as he got word that his mentor and cousin and friend, this powerful leader was, was killed, what does he do? Solitude, prayer, he wanted to get away. He wanted to get away. He hopped in that boat. He's like, y'all stay here. I'm going to the middle of the lake. So solitude and prayer, and that may take a while. If you're someone who's gone, gone through grief or you're going through it right now, this takes some time. Don't just rush past this. You don't snap out of something like that. You know, people say that all the time, get over it or something like that. That's horrible language. And just realize, too, that we, we have a, a Savior who grieves and understands grief. And he took the time to get away. So solitude and prayer, that's kind of that first stage, right? That may take some time. And then, and then he, he starts to step back into community with people he knows loves him. His disciples, he gets back with them. He gets back around community that loves him. That's, that's an important step, but that may take a bit. And then the last thing we see him do, and it's the, how, how the chapter ends, he, he begins to just serve other people, serve, serve their needs. And that's it's not a perfect sort of pathway through grief, but I think we see Jesus kind of working through those stages right in front of us. And again, these stories are awesome. The walking on the water, feeding thousands, those are all big stories, but don't miss Jesus grieving for someone he loves. And he took the time to get some solitude. He took some time for prayer, wrestling with God, tears flowing. Maybe he's crying out his nose, but he's grieving. And then he surrounds himself with people that he loves and love him. And then he moves to the moment where he's able to now serve other people. Sort of takes the focus maybe off that that grief for a little while. So that may be helpful. I'm not sure. But Jesus dealt with grief, and we serve a God who understands grief, and he cares. We don't just serve a God who sees our grief and is like, oh, that's terrible. We serve a God who sees grief and understands it and has felt it personally. We just, this intimate picture of Jesus grieving, I just don't want us to miss that. I don't know where you're at. If you're grieving someone right now, I don't know what stage you're in. Maybe, again, you need to take the time and get away and process this thing. Or maybe you've had enough time to do that. Now you need to get back with people who love you. And maybe it's time, yeah, to start serving other people. I don't know where that, in that journey you're at. And for some of us, we haven't grieved anybody yet. Maybe you were like me as an 18-year-old facing the first real loss in your life. And, oh, uh, don't rush past it. 
This is important. This is a bit of humanity. We're made in the image of God. And he's a God that understands grief. But he's also a God, as we see here, that will never, ever run out of compassion. No matter how many times you've prayed and made the same mistake, he has the same amount of compassion and love for you. And that may be the best thing you could hear today. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God in heaven, you are full of mercy. Your compassion never ends. Father, I'm thankful. We're thankful for, for moments like this in the scripture, your word, where you, you show us some of your heart. And Father, we may be grieving right now, but we know that that won't last forever. There's joy in the morning. It may take some time to get there. So, Father, I pray for every person right now that's grieving, going through loss, would you be right close to them, that you would be the I am for them, and there's no reason to be afraid. And for others of us that aren't going through grief right now, may we show compassion to those who are. Father, may we be your hands and feet in the world and show your compassion and mercy because we see it demonstrated in, in, the, in the life of your son, Jesus. So, Father, wherever we're at right now, we want you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.